Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. My generation does not know how to cope with the year 2020. Seriously. Not only have we had a pandemic and quarantine, we've dealt with things like natural disasters, fires and hurricanes. There's been political division. There's been protests and riots. And have we forgotten about the killer hornets and the UFOs and Kobe and the toilet paper shortages? I mean, it's been absolutely nuts. And yet you would think that us millennials and Gen Zers, we might've taken this opportunity, maybe some of the little extra time that we've had on our hands, to think about the things that have been most important in our lives, maybe the relationships and those close to us. But no, we jumped on the internet like we normally do, and we created some funny pictures, some memes about just how horrible the year 2020 has been. I'm sure you've seen some of these. I'll show them to you. Here's one that I like. We're all prepared for 2020 early in January, but nope, the unexpected happened. And we got arrowed in the face, not at all what we anticipated. Or how about this from the movie Groundhog's Day? It's quarantine day again. I remember this back in June. It was just the same thing over and over again. Or how about from Back to the Future? Never step foot in 2020. Listen, those of you watching this in the future, don't go back. Don't time travel here. You don't want to do it. You know, I don't know if you relate to these images at all or if you feel this way, but I do know one thing. I know that all of us have to deal with our fear and our frustration in some way. For some of us, that might look like making light of some things and laughing some things off. You know, there may be some good in that. But I also know that we can use things like entertainment and the internet and TV and sports as a way to to kind of dull some of those feelings of frustration and of fear that I think many of us are experiencing right now. And I know the reason that a lot of us are feeling this way is because we're looking at the world around us and we see the chaos, we see the division, we see some of the unrest and we're asking, God, what on earth are you doing? God, I don't understand what's going on. Can anything good come out of this? And when you and I, when we don't have a a good answer to that question, we become afraid and we're just confused. But we're really not the only ones to deal with that or have feelings like that. It's happened throughout all of history. In fact, I love how honest David is in the Psalms with his emotions. In Psalm chapter 13, he says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And I think for many of us, we have a similar feeling and we're saying, Lord, how long? How long is this quarantine going to last? How long do I have to wear a mask? How long is this sickness going to keep going on and on? How long until I get a job? Lord, just how long? So today we're going to be looking at a passage at the end of the book of Genesis, the very last few verses. And we've been in a series looking at the life of Joseph and his family called Living the Dream. And, and we, when we arrive here at the end of this book, what we're going to see is that the Lord has purpose and the Lord has had a plan throughout all of the craziness, not only in Joseph's life, but actually through the entire book of Genesis. 
For the last several years, we've been preaching over this book of Genesis every fall. And so to really understand the, the closing of this book, we need to go back and recap a little bit about what happened throughout this entire book of the Bible. It starts, of course, at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, when we're introduced to God, the Creator. And we see that God is good. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the protector. He's the provider. And he creates absolutely everything. And he says that his creation is good. And the prize of his creation are his people. He creates Adam and Eve. And we're told that these people are made in his image. And this God, he is so gracious that he actually lets his creatures, these humans, participate in his own purposes, in his mission. He gives them a job to do. He tells them to fill the earth and to care for the earth as stewards. But things aren't that great for that long because soon after this, Adam and Eve, they decide to go their own way. They actually listen to a lie that's spoken to them by the devil who comes in the form of a serpent and he tells them this lie that God is not to be trusted and that they can actually become like God themselves. And so they disobey God. They rebel against him. And this starts this downward spiral of sin and destruction and of evil that we see throughout the book of Genesis and really throughout your entire Bible. In fact, this sin, it spreads from Adam and Eve and it goes to their kids and we're introduced to family conflict. Murder even happens in this family and that spreads to cities and that spreads evil into the entire world. And it gets absolutely so bad that God decides to destroy the planet, to destroy his creation. But listen, as, as dark as that was and as dark as that season was in the book of Genesis, God's plan, it, it was never thwarted. Because after the flood, he, he chooses a man named Abraham. And he makes Abraham a promise. He tells him that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a family and I'm going to make your name great in this family. This, this family is going to become a nation and that nation is going to bless the entire world. And we're told that Abraham believed in God and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, he's not made righteous by something that he's did. He's made righteous simply because he believed God would do what he said he would do. And God does exactly that. God fulfills his promise to Abraham. He gives him a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob. And God blesses this entire family. I mean, he blesses the socks off of Jacob. He gives him great wealth and he gives him 12 more sons. And one of those sons, the ones we've been looking at primarily in the last several weeks, his name is Joseph. Uh, he was given a coat of many colors. And Joseph has this dream that one day his parents and all of his brothers were going to bow down before him. And so his brothers, of course, they're angry and they're jealous. And so they decide to sell Joseph into slavery. And it looks terrible at this point, of course, but God is still faithful. He actually still shows favor to Joseph because he brings him up out of slavery. He brings him out of prison and he ascends all the way to become essentially the prime minister of the land of Egypt. And then Joseph is able to use his great power. He's able to use his great wealth to provide for the needs, not only for his own family, but also for the entire nation of Egypt because they were suffering from a severe famine. By the way, as we've looked at these images, 
I don't think any of these people were as white as they are in these European paintings. Let's remember that these biblical characters were in the Middle East and in Africa. But that's a whole other topic for another day. One thing I do know, these biblical characters that we see here, these events that have unfolded throughout the book of Genesis, God's sovereign hand has been all over absolutely everything that's been happening. He's, he's used the good, he's used the bad, he's used the ugly to fulfill his purpose and to bring about the plan that he's had since the very beginning. And, and so now when we get to the very end of this book, in Genesis chapter 50, we're, we're gonna start in verse 15. We're gonna see God's good purposes. We're gonna see that he's had a plan all along. And, and when we see what he's been doing throughout this book and throughout the life of Joseph, what we're also gonna see is that he has a plan and he's had a purpose in our own life when we look at the craziness of the world around us. So go ahead and turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 15, or Genesis 50, verse 15. And here's what it reads. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him. And they said, behold, we are your servants. The first thing that we see in this passage is that Joseph's brothers, they are afraid. They're absolutely terrified that they're going to get the punishment that they received because they had done evil to Joseph so many years earlier. And in their mind, they realize that their father, Jacob, was such an important man. We learned last week, he had this great funeral procession. He was very revered. So maybe Joseph was waiting. Maybe he was waiting until his father died in order to bring the punishment upon them that they deserved. In essence, these brothers, they, they kind of hide behind the word of their dead father because they felt shame. And it's interesting because at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, when we encounter Adam and Eve, when they realize that they have sinned, that they've rebelled against God, they hide. They hide in the garden ashamed of their nakedness. Because anytime that you see sin, it always comes with shame, it comes with guilt, and it comes with fear. The, the brothers also, they, they recognize that this message that they sent ahead, it wasn't enough. They would need to come to Joseph face to face. And so they do that. They come and they bow down before him and they know that there is absolutely nothing that they can do to make up for what they had done to him. There was nothing they could do to, uh, to bring him back out of the slavery that they sold him into. They couldn't make up for the lost time. They couldn't take back the false accusations that were levied against Joseph. They couldn't take away the loneliness that he experienced in prison. The only hope that these brothers had was to fall on their face and put themselves at the mercy of somebody else, their brother, Joseph. And in this very act, it's a fulfillment of what Joseph had, had seen in a dream earlier that his brothers would bow down before him. And we're left with this question of how is Joseph going to respond? How's he going to respond for this plea for forgiveness from his brothers? We see that in the next few verses. Picking up in verse 19, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, 
to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph, he first responds to his brother's plea for forgiveness by reminding them of his place. He reminds his brothers that he's not in the place of God. At the beginning of Genesis, we encounter two people, Adam and Eve, who say they want to become like God. But at the end, in chapter 50, we see a man who says, I'm not in God's place. I'm not gonna sit there. And what Joseph does is he takes his brother's eyes and it takes them off of himself and he places their eyes on to their heavenly father, the creator. And this is incredibly important. Listen to me. When you and I, when we experience fear about all the circumstances that you may be going through, so often it's because our eyes are focused on the circumstance. Our eyes are, are maybe focused on a person that has harmed us. Our eyes are focused on ourselves and our eyes are not focused on the Lord. And so when Joseph, when he, when he sees them, he says, I'm not God. No, we put the Lord on his throne. What he's doing is he's taking his own power and he's using it for their good. The thing that we saw a few weeks ago, he takes his power. He says, no, this isn't for me. This is for your good. And Joseph gives us a picture of a coming king of Israel, David, and he gives us a shadow of the future Messiah, Jesus Christ. He reminds the brothers of his place. But he also responds to these brothers by assuring them of the Lord's plan. He tells them, what you meant for evil, the Lord, God, he meant for good. And it's interesting in the Hebrew, this word meant, what you meant for evil, it it's, reads a little more like what you devised for evil. It has this concept of planning or scheming something for evil. And that's exactly what the brothers did. Because when they sold him into slavery, it was not by accident. It was not by happenstance. It was premeditated. In chapter 37, it says that the brothers conspired to kill Joseph. And we see them doing this, but we also see throughout the Bible and throughout our lives that there's another schemer and he's the enemy, Satan himself. Because in Ephesians chapter six, it tells us that he's had his own plans He's actually been scheming against us from the beginning to do evil. And any time that, that we're going through suffering or we're going through some level of, of craziness, of some level of, of just confusion about what's going on around us, the enemy comes after us and he whispers, listen, is God, is he really in control? Does, does God really know what he's doing? Maybe you should take this on yourself. Maybe you're more powerful than God. But rest assured, what the enemy means for evil, the Lord, he means for good. How do we know this? Well, we know this because God took the worst and unjust act in human history, the death of his perfect son, and he turned it for good. Just when the enemy thought he had won, he thought he had such a great and perfect plan, but it was actually Satan's very demise. Because after Jesus died on the cross, three days later, he rose again and he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated the lies of the enemy. Satan thought that his plans were so great, but what's awesome is in Genesis chapter three, God declares, he trumpets his superior plan over the enemy because he tells him, Listen, Eve is gonna have a descendant and you may strike that descendant's heel, 
But there is a descendant that's coming, Jesus Christ, and he's gonna crush his head. God's plan is superior to any scheme, any power that can come against us. Joseph also responds by giving these brothers mercy and by giving them grace. Mercy and grace, a lot of times we, we get mixed up. Mercy is withholding punishment from somebody that deserves it. And listen, these brothers, they absolutely deserved punishment from their brother Joseph. And Joseph had the power, right? He could have snapped his fingers and they could have been whisked away to prison. He could have had them executed. He could have also, he could have used his words to punish them. But it says he spoke kindly to them. I don't know about you, but if I saw my brothers, you know, laying down before me like that, I might've been tempted to say, hey, I told you so. Nah, 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 nah. But Joseph doesn't do that. He restrains that power. He restrains that punishment. And in doing so, he's showing them mercy. But he does more than just not punish them. He actually gives them something that they don't deserve. It says that Joseph tells them, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to open up my hand for you, not only for you, but also for your family, for your little ones. What an amazing picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. Can I tell you? I mean, right here in the book of Genesis, we experience these brothers who deserve punishment. They recognize that they've sinned against their brother. They realize that there's absolutely nothing they can do to fix it or atone for their sin. Their only hope is to bow down and to plead for forgiveness from their brother Joseph. And their sin, it's not met with condemnation. It's met with mercy and it's met with grace. And listen, you and I, we're the same way. We're all guilty. We deserve punishment. We've rebelled against a holy God. We've gone our own way. We've tried to set ourselves up in his place. And there is absolutely nothing we can do to fix that ourselves. There's nothing I can do to, to make up for that. The only hope that you and I have is to bow before Jesus Christ, to see what he's done for us on the cross and surrender our lives to him. And when we do that, we're not met with condemnation, but we're given grace, we're given mercy, and we're offered a new life, and we're given a new identity by Jesus Christ. This shows us a wonderful picture of the gospel here at the end of Genesis, as this brother shows them mercy and he shows them grace. I love what 1 John 1, 9 tells us that, that if we confess our sins, that the Lord is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's continue reading. Verse 22. So Joseph, he remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years and Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. And he's going to bring you up out of this land into the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You know, I think a lot of times when we read a passage like this, maybe at the end of a book of the Bible, we can kind of breeze over it. It's like, hey, Joseph, he died, end of story, let's move on. Uh, but really there's, there's several things here that are important that I want you to see. 
The first one is this. Remember a few chapters earlier in the book of Genesis, Jacob gives his inheritance to some of Joseph's children. And now what Joseph is doing is he's paying that forward to some of his great-grandchildren. When Joseph says that he's going to make these kids his own, that has the idea of inheritance attached to it. And this is important because it shows us that Joseph is believing in the promises of God. Joseph is believing that God was going to fulfill his promise to bless this family, to make their name great and to bless the entire world through them. But, but he shows us something else here too because he requested his brothers take his bones and take them back to the land of Canaan. And this is, honestly, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird for two reasons. One, if anybody's talking to me about doing something with their bones, it's like, that's kind of weird. But it's also weird because Joseph, he's been in Egypt for so long at this point. Not only that, he's a high-ranking official in Egypt. Egypt is the place, it's the land that has given Joseph protection and security and great wealth and power. So why on earth would he not want to be memorialized there in Egypt? Why go back, why take his body back to the land of Canaan? It's also just interesting because the Egyptian custom was not to embalm the body and to place it in a coffin like this. It goes against all cultural norms from where Joseph was. But the reason that he does this is because, again, he believed in a promise from God. He believed that one day God was going to give his family and his nation a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land. Not only that they were going to take this place, but that God himself was going to dwell with them in this place. Joseph is believing in this promises of God. And as great as Egypt was, he knew that it was not ultimately his home. And here at the end of this book of the Bible, we just, we get this, we get this glimpse. We get a glimpse of what God has been doing all along, not only through Joseph's life, but through this entire book that God has been plodding along. He's been faithful. He's been doing his work. He's been bringing about his plan amidst the sin, amidst the craziness, amidst the, the family drama, so much family drama in the book of Genesis. And in the middle of all that, God is doing something God is up to something good. And so I want to give you three things that we see right here that God has been doing. And not only has, did God do this in the Bible, in this book, and in this story, God is still doing these three things right now. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write these three things down. The first thing that we see God doing is God is saving his people. God is saving his people. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they sin and God clothes them to cover up their nakedness. Abraham, he believes and God gives him his righteousness that he didn't deserve. Abraham goes up a mountain with his son Isaac to sacrifice him and God provides a ram to sacrifice in his place. Jacob, he wrestles with God and listen, he should have not have gotten out of that wrestling match alive, but he does. He's delivered and he's given a new identity. And Joseph, he's delivered from slavery and prison and given this incredibly high position. The brothers, they don't deserve it, but they fall down before their brother and they're forgiven. God has been saving people all throughout the Bible, all throughout the book of Genesis. And listen, he's still saving people today. He's saving people right here at Fielder Church. Listen, last month, we got to baptize 70 people. 
And I'll tell you what, I spoke with many of those people and things like job loss and insecurity and loneliness and sickness are some of the very things that the Lord is using to show them that their hope is not in the present circumstances that we're in, but their hope is in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of COVID, Pastor Jason told us his daughter came to faith in Jesus Christ. And just last week after the service, my own daughter came to faith in Jesus. He is still doing the work of saving souls even today. And no matter what we see needs to tell us differently. But he's also, this is the second thing. He's also forming his people. He's forming them. There was this promise again in the book of Genesis that God was building a people for himself. He did that through Abraham and through his family. And through this family and through that nation, he was going to bless the entire world. God's still doing that. He has a people. He has a special people that have been set apart for him. And through these people, he's blessing the entire world. But today we call that the church, my friends. He's using these people. He's using the church to bless everybody. Jesus himself tells us that he's the one building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that means that no pandemic, no mask wearing, no politics, no politician, nothing under this earth can stop the move of the church of God. He's the one building it. He's forming his people and he's forming us so that we would bless the world around us and we would tell this entire world of the excellencies of him who called us into his marvelous light. Listen, I'm seeing this firsthand in my own life. For the last several years, my wife and I, we've been, we've been praying about what it may look like to plant a church here, here locally and the heart behind that is that we want to see the gospel taken to some people who may never step foot in an established church. And we felt the Lord about a year ago leading us to just take a small step. And so we got together a group of people and we just, we began praying. We prayed for the Lord to reveal some next steps. We prayed for him to show us what we should do or just say, hey, if this isn't your thing, just, just cancel it, call it off and we'll obey you. And this group, it turned into a, a house church, essentially. And it, people began growing. And then when COVID hit, rather than this group disbanding, the Lord actually multiplied it. He took three people from our group and they went and they started a new house church with other people who have never stepped foot in a church. And then again, last month, we sent two more people and they're starting another gathering with people who are not coming to an established church. And just in the last couple months, when church attendance in the normal sense has been lower, we're having more people asking us, hey, how can I start something to reach my neighborhood or to reach my network of relationships with the gospel and start a church for people who may not step foot in churches as we normally conceive it to be. And we made the decision after a lot of prayer and conversations with Pastor Jason and Jared Yates, our missions pastor, and Jim Parks, we just, we really felt the Lord calling us to dive into this fully. And so we'll be over the next couple months transitioning out of uh, my role as community group pastor here at Fielder into full-time church planting. And that looks like us helping other people start micro churches to take the gospel where it hasn't been taken even in our own city. We're not doing this because it's cool or because it's trendy or the next thing to do. We're doing this because we believe God's building his church and nothing's gonna stop it. And the God is looking for people to take it to the one, to take it to the people that need to hear that good news. He's using us and he's using our community. He's using Fielder Church to bless the world and to bless our city. 
Finally, God is preparing a place for his people. He's preparing a place. Joseph, he says here that he's going to take his bones. They're going to go back to the land of Canaan. And, and the Israelites, as they're reading this from the writings of Moses, they're looking forward into this promised land. They're looking forward into this place. But when Joseph does this, he doesn't only believe in a promise of a place of this land. He also is believing in a future resurrection of his body. He knows that there's life after death. In the same way we don't look forward to a geographical region, we get to look forward to a new heavens and a new earth that Jesus tells us that he's preparing for us. It's a place with no suffering. It's a place with no tears. It's a place with zero chaos. It's a place of perfect peace. It's a place where we receive new bodies and there don't decay. There's no disability. We get to live a full and healthy life in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. That means that as we have all the circumstances going on around us and all the suffering and all the division, it means that we get to take our eyes off of the temporary and we get to place them onto the eternal reality, the place that Jesus is preparing for us. And he's doing that right now. So get ready for that day. Place your eyes on that future. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your circumstances are. If, you're, if you've been in a difficult season or you have strained relationships, I don't know what that is, but I know this. Whatever's going on, God is still saving people. He's forming his people into his image and he's using them to bless the world. And God is right now preparing a place in which to put our hope. I don't just preach this message to you. I'm really... I'm really preaching this to myself because this year has been absolutely crazy for the Pinheiro household. Back in December, we found out we were pregnant with our fifth child and we were excited, but we were also scared. Uh, There was definitely a level of fear because earlier in the year, we had experienced a miscarriage and just a few years earlier, we had twins and we lost one of those twins, Sophia, right before birth. And so we were afraid and It turned out that the first part of this year was just incredibly difficult. It was the most difficult pregnancy that Lydia has ever had. And that's saying something because we've had a lot of kids. Uh, But there was more sickness. There was medication. There was just a lot of discomfort. And then COVID hit and we're isolated. But it wasn't like we were less busy because now we had four other kids at home that we were homeschooling and trying to figure that whole thing out. And it ramped up even more in the middle of the summer, in the middle of July, when Lydia's blood pressure just began to spike. And she had to be admitted to the hospital twice uh, because of that. And by the way, the same time that that's going on, we had a pipe in our house break and it flooded our hallway. Our air conditioning unit went out and our dog got an infection and was vomiting all over our house. So if there's a couple weeks and there's a season where I'm asking, God, how long? How long is the dog vomiting everywhere? How long is Lydia in the hospital? How long is this water gonna be on the floor? When am I gonna get that hole fixed in my wall? God, what are you doing? God, is there any good that can come out of this? But here's something interesting about literally that week this year was that very same week was that this organization of microchurches that was starting, it it became incorporated by the state of Texas as a new religious organization the Lord was actually doing something in the middle of that crazy season. And here's what I believe. I think the enemy was actually scheming something for evil, but the Lord meant something for good. But that doesn't mean that that was easy. 
Because through all of that sickness, it meant that Lydia would have to be induced early. And we didn't want that to happen, of course. Anytime something does not go according to plans, we don't like that. But what was more disheartening was it meant that we would have to give birth in the same hospital that we had lost Sophia just a few years earlier. And so on July 28th at 8 a.m., we went uh, into the hospital for Lydia to be induced. And we were actually assigned the very same room that we had given birth to Daniel and Sophia a few years earlier. She was in labor for 23 hours. It was just incredibly difficult. And then at the end of that, when the baby was born, his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck twice and it was knotted. And the nutrients were not properly flowing to his body. And as the doctors, as they unraveled those, those umbilical cords and then they, they handed the baby to Lydia and I, here's what we realized. Had Lydia not been sick, had her blood pressure not spiked, had we not needed to induce labor early, that baby may not have been born alive and been born healthy. But what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. We named that baby Roman Peter after two books of the Bible that show us that there is hope through the suffering, that there is hope on the other side. And now we get to hold a living testament to the fact that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Listen, I don't know what you've been going through this year. I don't know how bad 2020 or the last several years have been for you, but I am believing that some of you that are watching this right now, amidst the craziness and amidst the chaos that you're seeing right now, that you felt this whisper in your heart from the Lord and he's been telling you to come home. Amidst everything that's been happening, amidst the turmoil, amidst the fear, it may have been a friend it may have been a thought. It may have been a Bible verse you read. It may have been you just randomly clicked on this video. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm believing that there are some of you that the Lord is drawing to himself right now. Last week, when my daughter placed her faith in Jesus, here were her words. She said, it's, it's just time. It's time. And so I'm gonna let her preach to you this morning and let you know that it's time. It's time to stop looking at your circumstances. It's time for you to stop trying to fix and atone for your sin yourself. It's time for you to fall down on your knees and surrender your life to Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can give you what you're after. He's the only one that can give you the peace that you need. He's the only one. It's time for you to give your life to him. Listen, if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus this morning, I want you to take one very simple step. I want you to get out your phone and I want you to text the words next step to 94253. Next step to 94253. You'll simply put in your name in a box and check uh, a check box that says, I'd like to follow Jesus. And if you do that, myself or another one of our pastors will reach out to you. We'll give you a call. We'd love to hear what the Lord is doing in your life. We'd love to pray with you and more than anything, celebrate what God is doing with you right now. But for many of you, you've, you've already placed your faith in Jesus. You've surrendered your life to him. And I think this morning, you just need the reminder. You need the reminder that God is working all things together for good, no matter what those things are. And here at Fielder Church, we do that by taking the Lord's Supper each and every week. 
And so as you go and as you grab that cracker and that juice in a few minutes, when you pick it up, I, I want you to think about the injustice that Jesus faced on the cross. I, I want you to think about the circumstances surrounding the death of Jesus. Think about how his blood was flowing through him. Think about how he was up there suffocating to death. Think about how the disciples were sitting at the foot of the cross, watching their friend being tortured and died. And think about the loneliness that they experienced on an entire Saturday where Jesus was dead. Can you imagine the questions that were going through their head? Lord, how long? Lord, what on earth are you doing right now? But today, as we take those elements, here's the wonderful thing. We look back at that moment. We get to look back in time and we get to see the purposes that God had in all of the suffering in the death of his perfect son because Jesus did not stay dead. We get to remember and we get to celebrate with those elements that he rose again and he was victorious for you and for I. We get to celebrate that what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord means for good. So go ahead if you need to go to your kitchen or someplace else and grab those elements, bring them back to the living room. We're gonna sing one more song and Pastor Jason will come back and lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper.